0: let me invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 of the second chapter of Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. This is the word of the Lord. And I and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray again. Cause this word to dwell with power in your people. And I ask that all that that is said this morning behind this pulpit might not sow doubt or confusion, but but might sow in your people joy, accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is the first official sermon. And I wonder what, what would you preach? And if you were in my position, maybe you'd be tempted to preach a sermon on tithing. Those are always popular amongst God's people. I've anticipated this sermon of standing before you, of preaching to you as as a newly elected minister here. And 1 Corinthians chapter two, verse one through five seemed like a very appropriate place to start. Why? Well, a couple reasons. One, because the, the work of a minister is to preach. If a minister doesn't preach the Word of God, he's not not faithfully ministering, he's not faithfully shepherding the flock of God. A minister, a man of God, is called to preach the Gospel. We see that in in 2 Timothy chapter 4. What What does Paul charge Timothy to do? Preach the Word. If you want to see communities changed, if you want to see families changed, preach. So, first of all, the Lord has called me to preach. Secondly, uh, you need to know how to hold your minister accountable. What are you looking for him to do? Some churches uh, expect counseling, and they should. Visitation, and they should. Some churches expect uh, their minister to run VBS and things uh, of this nature. And those are all good things. But the main thing is the preaching of the Word of God. And when we come to 1 Corinthians, we are seeing what God expects of pastors. And that's where I want to begin this morning, so that you know what to expect of your minister. And so that you can say, "Uh, Brian, you're not doing it right when the time comes. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that the church at Corinth was not the model church, was it? There's a lot of hand slapping in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and rightly so. When we start here in chapters 1 through 6, we have this part where Paul has become aware of a situation in the church that he must address. And in some sense, if I were to sum up these first six chapters... And what's going on here is you have a church that feels the tug of worldliness. I know that that doesn't affect any of you, okay? But in Corinth, there were people who wanted to be liked by their neighbors, okay? They enjoyed walking into the office and people saying, oh, there's our buddy. Come on and and join us here. They wanted to be like, They wanted to walk down Market Street and for people to say, there's Joe. What's going on, Joe? In other words, they didn't want to be the guy that walks along Market Street and everybody says, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. They wanted to grow the church. And they're thinking, well, the way that we grow the church is that we adopt all these secular philosophies. You see, they didn't have saints' football in Corinth. Y'all might not have known that. But what they did have is they had men who would stand up on the temple steps and they would debate. They were very sophisticated in their words. And it was like TED Talks for today. And so you might align yourself with the man that you thought sounded the best... And they said, oh, we, we need that in church. If we, will, we want to get these people to come into church. So we need, to, we need to kind of do some of the things that they're doing. We need ministers who use big words, who can debate with the world, who are recognized in the community. And so when we get to this part here, Paul says, remember my ministry amongst you? Remember how I came and the effect that it had. This is what true preaching, what true ministry is about. So notice in chapter 2, verse 1 there, Paul says, And I, and I, when I came to you, if you're reading along, you go from chapter 1 into chapter 2, there's a transition. Paul has been saying, you all, you all, you all. Now, now he returns the focus to himself and I. He shifts from using this, this second person plural back to the first person singular, looking at himself. He, he reminds them how he came to Corinth. He came preaching. He came proclaiming. So we see, look at verse chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Well, how could that happen? Why would would eloquent words empty the cross of Christ of its power? How how does that kind of thing happen? Well, he's going to tell you in chapter 2. We're going to see this Morning, that godly preaching, and, and for you, you can think about your own personal evangelism, okay? Godly preaching and evangelism worships Christ. And it aims at sincere faith. Let's see, first of all then, that pre- preaching, preaching, number one, does not exalt preachers. Paul Paul is a very logical, rational arguer. And and so here he begins, as he often does, with a negative argument. He says what preaching does not do. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech... Or wisdom. This is the negative argument. Preaching, in other words, doesn't exalt the preacher. My objective, standing behind the pulpit, is is not to go to that back door at the end of the service and every single person come come along and pat me on the back and say, Atta boy! There's the temptation to do that. And and let me share this with you, that every single minister feels that temptation. Because I want you to like me... (laughs) But do you understand that if a minister stands behind the pulpit and the prevailing fear upon his heart is the fear that somebody is not going to like him, do you know what he isn't going to do? He is not going to preach the word to you. And do you know what won't happen? You won't be changed. You won't be transformed in the preaching of the word. So preaching does not exist to exalt the preacher. So he says, "I didn't come with eloquence or superior speech." Literally, he's saying, "With these, with high-sounding words, I I didn't come to you trying to sound like an academician. I didn't come to you coming to sound like I I am a seminary professor, perhaps. I don't I don't want you to recognize my learning. I'm not putting myself on display." Literally, this means that he didn't come using words and speech that talk down to people. In other words, saying, you need to get up to where I am. Now, why would that be important? Because that's not what Christ did. You understand that in his incarnation, the Lord Jesus Christ came down. He took your flesh, was made like you, a little lower than the angels. And preaching does that too. God doesn't have to reach you through preaching. Do you understand that? He has infinite, eternal, and unchangeable power. He chooses to reach you through preaching because it reminds you of the incarnation of Christ... That he comes down to you. And so preaching ought not use words and language that is lofty and elevated just for the purpose of exalting a preacher. It's not with wise and persuasive words. Look at verse 4. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. What does this mean? Well, it, he, Paul's objective is not intended just to appease the senses. And then in verse 3 he says, For I, <clears throat> I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul trembling? That's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? This man, listen, this man who has seen Christ and therefore is an Apostle, this man who has stood before Christ leaders and has argued for Christ trembling before a congregation in other words what paul reminds us of here is that there was nothing visibly significant about himself when when i first started in ministry i was doing youth ministry and before I came to understand the sovereignty of God in salvation, I was really concerned about my personal appearance and about the personal appearance of our, our meeting space and things like that because I thought I, I didn't want to do anything to uh, turn people off to Christ and I, I wanted to draw people to, to Christ. I wanted to think that maybe I should wear ripped jeans, right? Um, so that people are attracted to the... I, he looks so relevant. Paul says, look, think about this. Here is the Apostle Paul stuttering, murmuring, proclaiming Christ to people. He's, dem- he's a small fella. He maybe has a mole on his face. He's not attractive to you. And he preaches Christ. And you know what happened? A community was changed... That has major significance for preaching and for evangelism. But most of all, this from Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is of Christ. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. This is your Lord. Preaching models Christ in every way. Effective preaching then is not a sales pitch. And you're thankful for that, because right? I'd follow you into the parking lot until you bought the extended warranty. It's not a minister's primary interest to impress you. I, I, don't, I don't want you to be impressed with me. I want you to be impressed with Christ. It's not my, my objective to entice you with words of wisdom so that you think a lot of me, but to think a lot of Christ... If effective preachers are not reputation hounds. I, I can't measure the success of ministry based on the number of Twitter followers. But there's a real temptation to do that. Look at how many likes I got, look how many shares I got. Preaching can be a very fleshly struggle. But what is godly preaching? What is it then? If that's the negative argument, those are all the negatives, so we, we know what it isn't. What is godly preaching? Paul tells us, first and foremost, preaching is a means to exalt Jesus Christ. Notice with me in part uh, chap- uh, verse 1, uh, Brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or Wisdom. We can take something about from this, uh, can't we? That it is testimony of God. It is both from God and about God. It, literally, it is of God. God is the origin and the authority of the message. So, ho- hopefully, you haven't come here this morning hoping to hear some witty stories about Brian's childhood. And as long as he tells some nice jokes and we walk out of here and I feel a little bit better about myself, right? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Right? And I walk out of here and I get all those points and I and feel a little bit better. I got a little pep in my step. I'm ready to go to work on Monday morning. We have accomplished nothing. God has given us a message. And a prophet, in the true sense, is one who speaks God's message. He is sent by God to preach a message from God. So think about this for just a second. Imagine if you all, when when you come and help us unload the pod tomorrow morning, um, that you, you walk into the living area and there's a shadow box on the wall. A shadow box is just a deep frame. And in the shadow box is a brand new drill. And I've hung it up there on the wall. I've taken a tool, and I've hung it up there on the wall. You, you say, what in the world are you... Why, that, that, that's an instrument. That is to be used for doing something. Why are you displaying it up there on the wall? And I say, well, doesn't it look nice? It's very bright green. Look at that rechargeable battery... Man, do you know how long that battery lasts? It's an ICAD. You don't take an instrument, you don't take a tool and put it up for display. And remember this, that a preacher is never anything more than an instrument. He's not meant for display. He is sent by God to, to, to preach and proclaim the word of God to the people of God. And his preaching then is centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, this is a very misused verse, by the way. Paul says, For I decided or I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, first of all, this has nothing to do with Paul's ability. Okay? He could argue with any sophisticated debater of the day, any of them. But what he did is he decided he determined what his message would be. Some others will look at this and say, "You see, you see, when we're in church, we don't talk about theology and those kinds of things. Paul just talked about Jesus, but notice the message. I determined to know what." Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ and Him crucified. This is a two point message. Who is the Christ and what He came to do? Um, Many years ago some of you probably will remember that Mel Gibson produced a movie called The Passion of the Christ and very immature in my faith, I went and saw the film, and I remember coming out of that film and people weeping, I'm you know, thinking, what kind of preaching are you sitting in under if you've never been preached Christ? But there was an article that ran in Time Magazine, and in, in Time Magazine, they interviewed various people, and they said, what effect did this film have on you? And and there were various effects. And I'll never forget, there was one Episcopalian minister who who said this. (coughs) He said, after I saw that film, I preached the first sermon on the atonement that I had preached in eight or nine years. How is anyone being saved in a church where the atonement of Christ is not being preached? This is our message. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, another positive argument. Preaching aims for true faith. Notice in verse 5, so that, so that, this is the point, this is the purpose, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of, Of God he he teaches us something here that there's a demonstration of the Spirit's power so let's reflect for just a second you and I believe something very important that every person seated in these seats is a body and a soul you're a two-part being a body and a soul and you understand where does salvation take place When you are converted, when when you are changed, where does that conversion and that change take place? In your flesh? Are you made new? Are Are you a new creation? You've got new skin? You look smooth in the face? No. The conversion takes place in your spirit. It takes place in your soul. And so when we come to church and we sit under the preaching of the Word, what kind of work are we looking for? Inner work. A spirit-filled work. Work that takes place in my soul. That changes me from the inside. In other words, this is work that cannot be seen. The simplicity of Paul's argument is this. Listen, if I came to you and I preached to you and you were impressed, I looked nice and I had on the designer jeans and the Gucci belt and I'm walking around with my leather handbag um, and the right hat on, the fedora, and I look sharp, man. I should be taking Instagram selfies. And you say, I I go to that man's church because look at how he dresses. When I leave that church, I always feel good. Is that spiritual? Is that real change? No, that's an appeal to the flesh. Paul is saying, I don't want your faith to rest on me, because you know what happens. As soon as you lose faith in the minister, you've lost faith in the church. Paul says, I want your faith to rest on Christ. When I had an opportunity to to go and to minister uh, with an elder, and we visited a lady with dementia, And you know that there are various types of dementia. And this particular lady, she had the type of dementia that she would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and it made no sense. And her daughter was there with us, seated on the bed, and she was seated next to me, and my elder, he was here across. And I had my Bible in my hands. And I'm sitting, I'm thinking, okay, ordinarily I read the Scripture with people I'm visiting, I read the Scriptures with them, and then I pray. And... I'm thinking to myself, This I'm wrestling with myself and I'm thinking, okay, if I read the scriptures with, with this lady who is babbling endlessly, what kind of idiot am I going to look like to her daughter? We can't even have a conversation. And I decided to do it. And we read the Scriptures together. And she said, Mama, we're going to read the Scriptures together. And I read Psalm 91 with her, which is a favorite of mine. And I said, can we pray? And she said, Mama, we're going to pray. And so she folded her hands. And she closed her eyes. And I prayed. And you know, when I said amen, she said amen. Thank you. I'm sharing that with you because you need to understand that the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God reaches to a place that you and I cannot reach you can't see it you can know the power and that's why we're so adamant that preaching has to be based on the Word of God if we abandon the Scriptures we abandon all power We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. How does that happen? Sticking to the Word of God. It is a spiritual power. So when you walk across the street and you knock on your neighbor's door and you're trembling and you're sensing your own weakness, you're saying, these people are never going to listen to me. I'm a fool in their eyes. And and maybe you are. And they come to your house and you you minister to them and you start to to speak the words of Christ. You, You minister to them the balm of Christ. And in a way that you cannot explain, they say, tell us more. As is written on this pulpit, we want to see Jesus. Friends, It is not our objective that you would have faith in the wisdom of men. Not our objective that you would be impressed with me the way that I look, the way that I dress, but that you would be impressed with Christ. Remember that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the one who begins a good work in you. And as long as Christ is exalted in preaching, men may look to Him for salvation. So, what do you expect from your pastor? I hope that you expect, no. I hope that you demand preaching that exalts Jesus Christ. Godly preaching always exalts Christ, not the preacher. And it aims at sincere faith. And so I hope that you will always come to New Covenant with a sense of expectation that Christ will be exalted so that you might be changed to look like Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You that even though these words aren't perfect, we know that in the hands of Your Spirit, by Your power, they change lives. We want to see lives changed today. Change our families. Change our community. So that we might exalt you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.